Good morning. On behalf of the elders of the church and the lovely family of Ealing Chapel, I welcome all those who are joining us for the first time today. I clearly my kid sister that came all the way from France. Uh, we love you. We appreciate your coming. And we hope to see you again. Amen. All right. Shall we bow down heads and pray? And dear Lord, we want to thank you for another opportunity to be alive today. We thank you for the breath of our noses. We thank you for the gift of life. As we hear your word this morning, we ask that you will speak to rocks in the language we shall all understand. We ask that the Spirit of the Lord will interpret the Word of God to our hearts. Take over these tongue and lips of clay and use it to your praise and to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we are continuing with the series from the book of Hebrews. I want to thank God for the preacher that preached last week. He spoke extensively on this topic. And I've decided to look at the book of Hebrews chapter number 5 and verse number 1 to verse number 10. And thank you very much, King, for the reading he just did. And I would like everybody to listen very carefully this morning as we examine something very, very important. I want to look at the topic, a greater salvation. A greater salvation. First, I want us to look at the word salvation. I want us to look at the word salvation. As we already know, salvation simply means to be saved. And I want to illustrate by saying maybe someone that is drowning in the sea and is about to die. And maybe there is a good swimmer that stands around and sees this fellow drowning in the sea. And he eventually comes to the rescue of the drowning individual. And is able to bring the individual out of the sea to safety. We can say that the individual has been salvaged. He has been saved from dying or from drowning. Jesus Christ saved us from the ocean or the sea of sin. It came to our rescue and brought us all out from being destroyed and from being drowned in sin. So salvation simply means to be protected from harm, from risk, or from loss. Amen. Theologically, there is a word I want to pick out from there, which is redemption. 
And the word redemption has to do with an atonement. When somebody atones for guilt or for sin, you have been redeemed. And so Jesus Christ has redeemed us. Now, back in Africa, back in Africa, I observed that we used to serve what we call the gods of Ogun. Ogun. And Ogun simply makes the god of iron. And what does Ogun does? The people worship this Ogun simply because they believe he can protect them from their enemies. He can save them when there is war. They also believe too that he can give them good harvest. That is what they believe. Sorry about that. <laughs> They believe too that it can save them from their adversaries, their enemies, and also to give them good harvest in time of famine. And so, when I was growing up, I remember those days that my mother made one for me. And what she asked me to always do is this. When I wake up in the morning, I should go to that little god of iron and pour whiskey on that iron, get another small piece of iron, and hit the head. And I was wondering, if I have to keep hitting the head of the iron, would the iron die someday? That was my little thought. Because something you keep hitting and hitting and hitting, certainly you are doing harm to the thing. But we are meant to believe that this God of iron can protect us, can save us. Hallelujah. That was back then. And up till as we speak, there are people that still serve this God of iron. You can't take it away from them. We have four Job geopolitical zones in Nigeria. There are the Westerners. They are known for trado, you know, tradition. They are more of traditional, you know, uh, servers. They are traditionalists. They believe in the God of iron. And they still serve the God of iron today. I'm taking us to somewhere. Now, in the book of Hebrews, there is something very important I want us to look at there. And I want to read it to us very quickly. The Bible says that for every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God. That he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray. Since he himself is also subject to weakness, because of this, he is required as for the people, so also for himself, to offer sacrifices for sin. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, 
just as Aaron was called. Now, hear this. The high priest those days was called by God. And they have certain functions and responsibilities. Things they are supposed to do as outlined in the Bible, as commanded by God. And one of such things was to offer sacrifices and gifts for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray. He himself is subject to weakness, just like every other person. For the people, also for himself, he has to offer sacrifice for sin. Because himself, he's a sinner. Like the Bible says, all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. The high prince is called by God, not by himself. And I wanted to give us one clue about what we're talking about. And I want you to follow closely. Now, I want us to take a quick look at what happened in the Old Testament. The high priest that was called by God, usually once in a year, we have to go into the Holy of Holies to offer sacrifice on behalf of the people. He doesn't offer himself, but he has to offer the sacrifices of animals, lambs, rams, bulls, goats. Those were the things he has to kill drain their blood, and take it into the holy place that is called the holies of holies. And it does this just once in a year. Now, this is very important. When the high priest is entered into the holies of holies, usually he goes there alone. He's the one that has been ordained to do it. No one else has the right to go in there. And so as he's approaching the holies of holies, a very long twine or cord is attached to his loins. And there is a bear that is equally attached to the garment that he's going to wear. And he enters into the holies of holies. As they move around inside the holies of holies, the bear dangles, and the people hears it. And that gives them assurance that he is still alive. But should they stop hearing the sound of the bear, the next thing they will do is assume he's dead, and probably so. They will drag the long cord to bring him out. Why? Because nobody can enter into the holies of holies. And if anyone dares, he may be slain by the presence of God. And so it is the long cord that is attached to his noise that they will use to pull him out. And we can find this in the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter number 28 Verse number 13 to verse number 35. It says, make pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet. 
and scarlet yarn around the hem of the robe with gold bearers between them. The gold bearers and the pomegranates are to alternate around the hem of the robe. Aaron must wear it when he ministers. Where? In the Holy of Holies. The sound of the bells will be heard when he enters the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out so that he will not die. Hallelujah. Is somebody still here? I said hallelujah. Hallelujah. The holy of holies was covered by a veil. And this veil covers it from the top to the bottom. I want it, I'm taking us to somewhere. Nobody can have a sex into it. Nobody can see it from the outer court as it was called those days. Nobody. It's only the prince, the high priest, that has access into the holies of holies. And like I said before, the high priest enter but once in a year. And he could enter just once on Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, to offer the blood of sacrifice and incense before the mercy seat. That's what he does. Now, what is in there? And I want us to listen. The Holy of Holies is a term in the Hebrew Bible which refers to the inner sanctuary of the tabernacle where God dwelt. Those days, we were made to believe, and that is exactly what it was, as written in the Bible, that God only dwells inside the holies of holies. That is where the presence of God is. That was those days. And so if you're entering in there, you are going to meet with the Lord. That was where we had the mercy seat. That was where we had the throne of grace. That was where God was residing. And so it was so holy. And here it is. The ark is said to have contained the Ten Commandments, which were given by God to Moses or Mount Sinai. It is thought to be located under the dome of the rock. The area was defined by four pillars, which were head up the veil of the covering under which the Ark of the Covenant was head off the floor by two staves. 300 years later, it was a temple in Jerusalem where the Ark of the Covenant was kept during the first temple. Carefully listen to what I'm saying right now. The Ark of the Covenant, which of course is also known as the Ark of Testimony, was kept right in there. And I'm going to show you what is contained in the Ark of the Covenant. In the Ark of the Covenant, we have a gold-covered wooden chest with lead covered described in the book of Exodus as containing the two stone tablets of the Ten Commandments. According to various texts within the Hebrew Bible, 
It also contained Aaron's rod and the pot of manna. Hebrews 9.4 describes the Ark of the Covenant was covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden jar holding the manna and Aaron's rod which bordered, and the tables of the covenant. The Ark of the Covenant simply contains the Ten Commandments, which was given to Moses in Mount Sinai. Then Aaron's rod that bordered, even though it was an iron, but it bordered. And the pot of manna. Remember, God gave the people manna to eat in the wilderness when there was no food. That was all that was contained in the Ark of the Covenant that was kept inside the holies of holies. Now listen. When Jesus Christ came, he made all the difference. And this is where we are going to. I want you to listen to me carefully, please. The high priest cannot offer sacrifice for the people without first offering sacrifice for himself. Why? Because he was a sinner just like every other person. He wasn't perfect. He had sin in him. He was weak. He had all the faults that every other person had. And the blood that was offered for the sins of the people was the blood of animals. Blood of bulls, goats, rams. And that wasn't good enough to cleanse the sins or to atone for the sins and the guilt of the people. But the high priest had to do it. And like the Bible says, everything that was done in the Old Testament was like a shadow of things to come. And so, the high priest had to do all of this on behalf of the people. Why? Because the Messiah hasn't shown up. Jesus Christ hasn't shown up. And they did this for several years and decades until it was time for Christ to come. And the Bible says when Jesus Christ appeared as a baby, he came into this world for a purpose. He brought grace and truth. He brought salvation. He brought mercy. He brought forgiveness. He brought deliverance. He brought redemption. And when he came, he made it known to everyone in a humble state. He let everybody know that his coming is to salvage, to save, to deliver, to redeem mankind from their sins. To get them out of the ocean of sin. To save them from drowning. And the Bible says, when he appeared, he took upon himself the sins of the whole world. And he went to the cross at Calvary. He was beaten. He was humiliated. He was scourged. The burden of sin was heavy upon him. At a point, he said, God, 
Can you take this cup away from me? Because it was too much. But immediately he knew why he came. And he said, Lord, not my will, but thine will be done. And the moment Christ gave up the ghost at Calvary, hear this. That veil that has all these years covered up the holies of holies. The Bible says he got torn from the top to the bottom. The ark of the covenant that was never seen for once over the years became visible to everybody. Not just the high priest alone, but everybody. The vet of Jesus Christ opened the door and granted everybody the assets to God. And this is the point. When they shed his blood on, on the cross of Calvary, he said to everyone, you can freely now come to the throne of grace and obtain mercy even in a time of need. That nobody has to go through anyone anymore. Not the high priest, not the reverend father, not the reverend sister, not the pastor, not the evangelist. No. You and I, we have same opportunity. You and I have same power like the high priest used to have to assess the holies of holies, to assess the presence of God, to assess the throne of grace, to obtain mercy for ourselves, not having to go through anyone, not anymore, because Christ took your place. He took my place. He took your guilt. He took my guilt. He took your sins. He took my sins. He took your weakness. He took my weakness. And he nailed it to the cross. That is the great salvation. You don't have to think anymore. How do I gain access to God? You don't have to. You don't have to. You don't have to ask, how do I gain access to God? God is saying to you, just as you are, where you are, you can gain access to me. All you just need to do is to humble your heart. Humble yourself. Know you can help yourself. No, you can't save yourself. A drowning man cannot save himself. That is why he cried out, help, help, help. And that's exactly what God is asking you to do. Where you are, God hasn't come to condemn you. He, didn't come, he, hasn't come, he didn't come to, to pick forks with you. He didn't come to say, yeah, you are not good enough. No. He knew you weren't good enough before he came. Don't say I'm not good enough. I can't say sin. Just as you are. 
Just as you are, that's how God wants you to come to him. And he's saying, mercy is available. My grace is sufficient. Forgiveness is mine for the offering to you. Just accept it. And that's all you, you need. And if you can come to him today and say, God, I appreciate what you have done on the cross of Calvary. I know that I am a sinner. I cannot help myself. I need you to help me. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and person and Savior. He will be glad to do just that. Because he says, I stand at the door and knock. Whoever opens the door, I'll come in, dine and wine with him. He says, come on to me, all ye the labor and the heavy laden. I'll give you rest. I'll give you peace. That's what God is saying to you today. If you are here this morning, don't go back home the same way you came. God has been looking for you. You are not here by accident. He knew you would be here today. And he knew you would be here to hear this word of God today. Let's bow down our heads. If you are here this morning, you want to say, Jesus, come into my heart. I love you. I appreciate what you have done for me on the cross of Calvary. I want you to be my Lord and person and Savior. I'd like you to pray this all-important prayer with me right now as you bow your heads. Please say this after me. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord and person and Savior. I surrender all unto you. Thank you, Lord, for accepting me as your son or daughter. In Jesus' name. If you pray that simple prayer, you have just made peace with God. And so, dear Lord, we want to thank you for this opportunity. Tomorrow may be too late. Today is the day of salvation. Ask many who have just prayed that prayer this morning. Arise there, Lord, that you will be the Lord over their lives. Rule and reign in your hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.